Hello, everybody, and welcome to the HTML All Things Podcast, episode 90, Taking Charge on Client Projects. I'm your host, Matt Lawrence, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Mike Coran. If you've been enjoying the podcast so far and you want to support us, there's a couple of ways that you could do that. You can review us on Apple Podcasts or on the podcast platform that you're listening to this on. You can also check us out on Patreon. There's only a couple of tiers, but the $3 tier will give you a shout-out, and we will list a link to your website in our show notes. And probably the most important one is just to tell your friends that we are here, ready to be listened to, share us, and get us out there, get the word out that HTML All the Things Podcast exists and is a weekly thing. And also, if they're ready to go a step further, you can join us on our Discord server. So we have a bunch of people in there right now. I think we just ticked over another milestone, of which I can't remember what it is, uh, due to me jumping around between tasks a lot this week. But uh, we jumped over another milestone, so welcome to all the new people, and we hope you join us in there as well. But, of course, Weekly Pain Point, Mike, take it away. All right. Uh, my Weekly Pain Point this week is writing. So... What I've been trying to do is kind of if I if I have a podcast topic that's my topic, like a mic-heavy episode, uh, I'm trying to write a, an article for that topic and just expand on what I'm saying and to kind of give uh, – just to give more background information on how I came up with that topic and stuff like that. Um, but I have trouble sometimes for like going from the podcast format to the written format. What I've noticed is uh, they don't correlate one-to-one because in podcast form or in writing, like in, in talking form, it's a lot more casual. I expand on a lot of things, I think, on the fly. Like I don't, I don't usually read word for word my notes. I'll just use them as a talking point. And then so when I go to convert it to a regular article, um, I find that the structure is usually wrong for an article. So I'll have to go back and redo the structure. So what I've been doing now is instead of worrying too much about structure and worrying about where this fits and that fits, I'm just writing as much as I possibly can uh, in in a in a structured form, like in some sort of structure at least. And with the intention of going back and, you know, rearranging some stuff, deleting some stuff, stuff like that. I think that has helped me more than anything uh, because I was just stuck in a couple of ways, like with like four lines on the screen, uh, thinking like, what's the perfect next line? And that wasn't the right way to go about it because you don't know the perfect next line. Like sometimes you just can't think of it and it's better to just get something on the page because that could motivate you to write more and more and more. And as soon as I start writing, I can usually write for a good amount of time and get something out there. Um, So I'm hoping to have an article out for the previous week's topic, uh, which is talking about the uh, project learning, project-based learning uh, sometime this week for that. So stay tuned. But what about you, Matt? So mine isn't actually work-related. Uh, I've just been bouncing around between tasks and stuff like that. So my work's just been, you know, kind of regular grinding away. Uh, but this week is actually kind of quarantine uh, quarantine leisure-related. So it's different gaming styles. Now, I wrote here, or rather Mike wrote a really dumb joke here, not to be confused with Gangnam Style. Pretty lame, Mike. I did but not anyway. write that. I am not. <laughs> nope, that's a dumb joke. I did not write that joke. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> well, that'll be in the show notes with your credit on it. But anyway... Uh... <laughs> But anyway, so uh, we. <laughs> I hope you. I hope you also check out our Instagram tags, Mike. Actually, before I get into this, because uh, you're always the cat in in our like sticker posts, and at one point you're like oh, the title or something saying. or something yeah. like that. Yeah, I just like yeah. tagged you Fantastic. in. Yeah. I was wondering why I was being tagged in those. Now I know. Now yeah, I you're know. you're the cat, and, and the I cat. was the spilt coffee. <laughs> 
I don't I'll know. Take the cat. Just... I'll take the cat over the spilt coffee. Thank you. I mean, I'll take. I don't want to be a cat. So anyway, <laughs> uh, for, okay. So for gaming styles, uh, obviously we're inside a lot more due to you know hiding in our bunkers, our figurative bunkers, hiding away from the pandemic, and. Um, Basically, the, the main leisurely thing that I've been doing is uh, playing a lot of games online, which is fine. Uh, in a bit of a renaissance, some old high school buddies are back too. So, you know, that's super fun and everything. But what I've noticed, and I don't know whether it's a pain point or just more of an observation, but uh, there's actually uh, quite a bit of variance in gaming style. So I think maybe I just got used to playing with uh, a core group of people, and now there's obviously new people coming in and, you know, some people that were only occasionally showing up are now showing up consistently. So I'm playing with more people all over the place kind of thing. And I'm noticing that like just playing the same game with some people, like, so I'll play follow 76, for example, that game is, you know, I'll play it one way with one person, a totally different way with another person and a totally different way with another person. And sometimes you have to play with those people individually because their gaming styles are so different that like one goes super slow and one goes unbelievably fast and one goes super like, like really slow, you know? So it's just like, it's a whatever, like I'll still play with these people. It's not a, really a complaint, like I said, but it is certainly an observation and something where I'm like, wow, like I never really realized how different play styles are. And with that being said, I wonder how how different they play single player. But anyway, I, I know all, all you guys aren't there out there aren't gamers. It's just something I observed and sort of a, a weird quarantine quirk, if you will. So yeah, it's been, I don't know, it's been interesting. But um, it's a me-heavy episode this week. Um, I'm going to be talking about, of course, taking charge on client projects. Got a couple of segments here, three segments to be exact. Uh, first one is taking charge, question mark. Uh, number two is going to be when to take charge. And um, apparently I put a question mark there, so I don't know why I did that. And then also tips and tricks after you've taken charge. And then, of course, we're going to be doing uh, a web news, which will be sort of a theoretical sort of conversation on what post-COVID-19 life is going to be like um, and just kind of talking about sort of the UX, if you will, uh, of uh, life after after COVID. But anyway, I'm going to dive in here. Pretty pretty big show notes this week, so make sure you go check those out as well um, if I remember to put them up because I have forgotten several times in the past. But anyway, uh Let's go. So taking charge, question mark. Um, sometimes when you take on a client project, you'll find yourself getting stuck over and over again. And this is due to a few reasons. So sometimes you're waiting for answers on how things should be done. Sometimes you're explaining things to clients that aren't sure of the scale of their own project. And then you know, you're waiting on them after you've given them an explanation as to the scale of the thing. You're waiting on them to then make the appropriate plans based on the new scale. Or now they need to create new things like a new logo or something. So you need to continue or you need to wait to continue while they kind of absorb like, whoa, this project's a lot bigger than I thought. Um, also, a lot of clients don't know where their job starts uh, and yours or where the, I guess the limits between the jobs are. So they don't know where their job ends and yours starts or you know vice versa. They don't know what their tasks are exactly. Some of the stuff is very obvious. Obviously, they came up with the name, the idea, but then they don't really know. Like, do they make the logo? Do you? Like, you know, what they don't know where that, where that border is. Um, and... Normally, these delays can happen, you know, with with a variety of clients, but they they can happen with people that you know they have an end goal. They they have an end goal in mind. So what I mean by that is, it's a client who they came up with the idea and they and they came up with their sort of solution. So if they had an app idea, they obviously formulated the idea and then slowly they envisioned in their own brain an end product, an end app, and they didn't 
fill that piece in and they want you to fill it in. So this is where, you know, where they don't know where the borders are between their job and yours. And this is why they don't, they don't understand the scale because they just came up with the idea and came up with the end product as a result of those ideas. Um, another one is, um, they aren't picky about the journey. So if they're being kind of fluid with stuff like this. So for example, if someone is very, very picky, they will tell you what they want. I want the heading to be this size. I want it to be this font size. I want there to be serifs. I want there to be an app here. I want there to be a link here. I want there to be a color here. I want there to be a bright thing here. I want there to be no highlighting allowed here. They will tell you. If they are not picky, these delays can happen because they're kind of fluid. They don't really know. Or they're 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 one of those guys that'll say like, hey, can we try this? You know, they want to be fluid with their idea. And whereas that's really great for creativity and that type of thing, it's not great for deadlines as we found. Um, also, they aren't, uh, another type of client would be that they aren't versed in website creation or management and therefore don't know uh, the work involved. So it's sort of similar to them not knowing, you know, that in-between piece. But if they're, you know, really not into websites, they might think, and we've had a fair bit of clients believe this, that, you know, websites are quite literally like a, like Photoshop where they you drag and drop these pictures, you drop basically shape them into squares with little, you know, resize boxes, and then that's it. Then you publish it, and that's it. And that, that you know, that's really not the case. Um, especially if they have something complex, like they want to pull from an API or they need to do a calculation from certain types of data or something like that. They just think it's like, tell the computer to do the calculation for me and put the answer out when you're like, well, <laughs> I got to do the calculation and get it to do that. So like, you know, they don't know. Uh, another thing is if they're in a hurry, actually. So if they're trying to reach some sort of deadline that they can't push back for some reason. Now, this is usually due to an external force. So, for example, maybe there's a seasonal change that affects their business. So if they're a landscaper, maybe they are, you know, really, really, really pushing for you to get their website up before the, uh, the like, the lawn cutting season. But unfortunately, they waited until like two weeks before said lawn cutting season. So they're, they're going to be freaking out and all this stuff. And then now you're going to have a delay because they're freaking out. You're asking them for stuff, but they're preparing for the season. And now you don't know like what's going on. So there's like a desync essentially. So in all of these cases, there's usually like a desync of some sort between you, the dev and them, the client. They just don't, there's something blocking or interfering with this communication or this groove of building a project together. Now, all these points eventually lead to a project that has partial pieces all over the place with nothing actually complete. So like half a website here, a YouTube channel over there, a partial marketing plan with nothing implemented, some branding done, but nothing actually decided upon. So the colors aren't done, et cetera, et cetera. It's kind of almost like being scatterbrained. It's like the guy calls, asks you for the logo, but you needed the font. And then he forgets about that. And he wants to do this. And that like, so it's all over the place, right? This always happens. So these type of situations, in my opinion, require, okay, one one of two options. So there's an A option and then there's a B option and the B option is taking charge. So I'll dive into the A option first. A is you as the developer or web dev in the in these examples, sit back and let things slowly get fed to you and you slowly but surely work on the pieces of intel that you have and you don't care about the deadline like that external thing with the lawn cutting season or anything else. Basically the client, you let the client steer the ship all the way through. The client will you know, slowly feed you stuff, you request stuff, but you don't really care. You just continue working on your other projects or whatever it is. And if the client's late giving you a logo, the client's late giving you a logo. That's basically how it works. These people uh, that'll do this are normally uh, very busy or whatever. And I'm going to get into that soon, but oftentimes you'll do this if like you have, um, if you're doing everything kind of hourly, so you don't really care. You're just being charged per hour. You're not invested in the project yourself. You're just sort of like, Hey, I need that logo. If they're not going to 
if they're not going to message you, if they're not going to send you that logo, you just don't worry about it. You go and work hourly for somebody else because time is money in this particular case. And again, I'm going to get into those cons and pros later. Um, also B, so or option B, so option B taking charge, the one that we're going to be focusing on, obviously in this episode is, so you have enough info to understand and complete the vast majority of the project, or at least at a high level. And so it's only, a, it's only small, minute details that are really keeping you back. Things like colors or images or something that could easily be sub- substituted. You can throw in an applicable stock image that can be changed out later. No big deal. Put in, you know, red, and then they want blue later. You could do that. It's not like the biggest deal. So as a result, you know you would you take charge you attack the problem head on making the project yourself using the client's information as needed and of course obviously requesting new info from them as needed but you never stop until you run out of information to work on you just keep going and going and going and chipping away at the project completing those things completing that youtube channel that website that whatever it is and basically you'll be spinning up their entire project with a bunch of assumptions in mind you're building out their project the way you would have if you were in their shoes using your professional opinion is basically it. You choose the images, you choose the colors, the branding, anything, any fill in any of those holes, etc. That's basically it. Now, both options, A and B, are completely viable, and I typically personally lean toward option B, but there are pros and cons to both, so I'm going to jump into both of those. So, we're going to jump into A first. This is the analysis of A and the pros and cons of A. So, for option A, Pros, if you're busy, okay, with other work and you don't have the time to constantly, you know, like talk to the client for stuff, ask the client for stuff, you know, bother them for things like this, then this is the option you go with. This is the way to do it. Uh, If you don't have time to hold their hand through stuff and at the end of the day, it's just that, you know, it's their project. So therefore, you know, it's their project, it's their problem kind of thing. So if you want to adopt that type of mentality, you know, it's easier on you. It's, it's, It's better on you. That's it. This option, obviously, by by what I just said, saves a ton of time on your behalf and essentially dumps it in the client's lap. But it's their project anyway. So as you can see, I don't really like this because it kind of seems like it's arrogant almost. But it is true. It's like it's their project. They weren't prepared for it. So you can take them. You can take the stance of, you know, I'm going to help you. I'm not going to be a jerk to you, but I'm also not going to hold your hand. I'm not going to pull you through this unless maybe you're paid to do it or instructed to do it. It's their pro. It's their project. It's their problem. Now, you're also more of a consultant in this role, especially in the early stages of the project, because you're more or less going on calls and taking in what the client has. So maybe they did make a new logo, but because there's still major holes in what they, what they're actually giving you, you'll accept that new logo, but then you'll be like, Hey, we need to change that logo a little bit. Uh, we need to change the font or, Hey, we need the slogan as well. So like, I can't act and like put this logo in until I also have the slogan, stuff like that. So you're still kind of in that consulting phase. So if you're stronger at consulting, maybe this is the option for you as well. If you, you prefer to kind of talk at a high level to people more, this might be the option for you. Although at the end of the day, you're going to have to do that work anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But maybe you would have a certain staff member handle this part of the project if you go with A. Now, the cons of uh, option A is unless your client is very fast or very focused on their project, you'll be stuck working on this project for months, if not years to come. That's just the way it is. Um, even when there's external things, maybe they'll push it back to the next lawn season in the landscaping example, for for, for uh, example. But two lawn seasons, three lawn seasons, you know, we've seen it. Things get pushed back, pushed back, pushed back, delayed, weighed upon, forgotten, etc., etc., etc. Your client might also go and seek someone else out that would do option B, so they, that would actually take charge because they're not versed in exactly where, and I mentioned this before, where their job ends and yours begins. And we're thinking, and maybe they were thinking like you would have been taking charge when, you know, kind of it's not your responsibility, but at the same time, 
It is and isn't, and we'll get into that with the pros and cons of B. But they might think like, wow, this guy is like really not independent. He, you know, he doesn't seem into the project. He just keeps telling me to do stuff. I'm going to go with somebody else that just kind of does it because they just want it done. They want to get that final product that they, that they envisioned. Now, if they leave you, um, if they leave you, you're obviously out of money, right? There's the big con of that one. If they leave, you're out of your hourly wage or you're out of your agreed, your agreed rate, whatever it is. And then you might actually also get a bad review because they left you mid project. They might be like, this guy didn't complete this. You know, he was a jerk or whatever, whatever ended up happening. You might get a bad review out of it. So a is a is sort of like on paper where you that's your obligation. Like your bare minimum obligation to me when it comes to a client is a, but I prefer B, which is kind of taking an additional step. And oftentimes a lot of additional steps, um, a lot of additional work, but usually ends up with a way better product and a way more happy customer and usually more money for you anyway. So I'm going to go through the analysis of B, which is taking charge. So if you take charge, the pros of it will be that the project will come to light one way or the other. You're going to work through it. You're going to finish it up. You're going to just get it done. Now, unless your client is extremely picky, generally, if if a lot of work has been poured into something, they'll be more lenient on their requirements in favor of saying like, oh, you know, you know, that's good enough. Like, you know, it was supposed to be red, but, it, you know, it, it's a it's a dark green, you know, fair enough, like whatever. No, don't worry about it. And on a, and that way, it's just that feature is done. So a lot of clients will do that. And a lot of clients will also like that you took initiative and it will and will actually give you it'll actually earn you rather some cred with them in case you make a mistake down the road. If you're continuing working on the, the, you know, an ever growing project, or if you're late delivering something on the future, they'll always remember like, Oh, you know, this guy isn't lazy. This guy's not half-assing it. You know, he did all this stuff for me. He's just late today because he was sick or he's late today because it took a little longer than expected. But like, you know, we know that he's dedicated. We know that he, we know that he does his stuff. We know, you know, we know he's a good, a good worker basically. Now they know you're a hard worker now and they know you're not lazy. So, now they think you're independent as well. So when I say this, you know, it sounds like I'm reiterating the last point, but what this actually means is that they're going to be probably leaving you alone. So for example, if you did a whole bunch of stuff, let's just say you're building an image gallery for them. I know that's a small thing, but let's just say it's a big project. For some reason, you build a big image gallery, everything's great. And they didn't really give you that much stuff. So you grabbed all the stock photos, you chose the resolution, the light boxes and all this stuff. You built this really nice image gallery for them online. That's all great. That's all done. Hooray. But then they're like, hey, can you add another row? And I realize that's probably easy, but let's just say it's going to take a long time. So now that other row, if they wanted it done in, I don't know, three days and you took four, they're probably, if they trust you and they realize that you're independent and you did all that work before, they're probably not going to bug you until like day five or six. So you have a little bit of leniency, not that you should take advantage of that, but if you actually needed that extra time or you just forgot about something or like whatever it was, or you had a bit of trouble with it more or less the client's going to leave you alone or not be like ticked off. If they message you, they'll be like, Hey, like, where is that? You'd be like, Oh, sorry. This image was big and I had to compress it and it took a day or, you know, so I know that's outrageous, but took a day. And then they'll be like, Oh, okay. No problem. Because they know you're a hard worker. They know you're dedicated and they know you're going to get your stuff done. And there's a reason why you didn't. So that's, that's a pretty big pro in many, in many developers books. Cause you could actually sneak in a little bit of work on another person's project in there. Now, cons of taking charge are going to be that you have to invest obviously a lot of time this is this can't be stressed enough a lot of time 
and assumptions into this one. Now, some of those assumptions may be way off and you'll have to end up redoing stuff, which will also take more time. And it's also possible that your client is extremely picky and won't be as easygoing, making you, you know, redo even the most trivial of things to align to their vision, changing the little colors, changing the little images, adding little borders or something just ridiculous. Now, now this is a massive time waster. Like I, I really want to, I really want to state this like outright that this is a massive time waster going back and redoing things, fixing things. It can be huge. And if they want a, a critical system fixed, it could take a long time because maybe you're changing how the API is called. Maybe you're changing, you know, how the API works, whatever it is. Now, if you have, okay, a team of people, so you're in an eight web agency and you assign them to this or push other work out of the way to do this thing and take initiative on it, you're also losing money on that too. You're paying that staff. You're now pushing another paid pro like potentially guaranteed or quote unquote as guaranteed as it can get project out of the way. And now this project's like a big boondoggle basically. And it's a big, it's a big disaster for you. So you got to remember time is money. Um, so if you have a team, you know, be conservative with this type of stuff. If you're sure the client's really going to like your assumptions, and that type of thing, maybe go for it, but you have to kind of gauge the situation and decide, do I want to risk this? Like, do I really want to pull everybody off of, you know, X project to work on this project when we, when like this pro when this guy doesn't answer much or something and we, you know, we, do you really want to risk it? Right. There's always that risk there. Um, you might also completely blow the client's budget. Um, so you have to take that in, into regard as well. And if they're not answering, it's possible that they're having budget concerns and they're trying not to engage you to like lower the hours or something like that. So this can be really devastating if you, make this huge project. It takes a hundred hours. And then it's like, Oh, by the way, I don't have any money. I can't pay you. So then it's like, Oh great. So like, I'm not going to give you this project now. Usually you're not going to like spin the site up for you, but I've already put that time in and I've already paid these people's wages. So like, that's a huge, huge, huge hit, especially if you're running a small business now. So, Oh yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to step in here. Um, cause this is a really good topic and I have quite a bit of experience with the taking charge aspect of it. Uh, in my opinion, like the type A or, you know, the A version of this is almost never going to work well. Um, I think you, you can find a couple of clients that are very structured and very responsive and it's possible, but majority of clients are going to need to have their hand held a little bit and are going to need you to take charge and uh, provide them the product. Now, the ways that the ways that this can be alleviated are gathering requirements really well at the beginning of the project. If you want to do the take charge approach, that's great, but make sure that before you start the project, you have a good sit down with your client that's going to take some time, maybe an hour, maybe two hours, where you ask them all the questions that you you think you're going to need to be asked, where you have a bunch of the structure laid out, where you in your contract, again, you have the structure laid out for how much you're going to charge them, stuff like that. A lot of the negatives of the B, taking charge, can be elevated, but it's never going to be 100%. You're always going to have that, that situation where you're going to have to guess and you're going to have to put your, what I like to say, best foot forward on, on, a, on like a feature or on a page or whatever. Like at some point, you are going to have to decide something for your client and that's okay because in a client, uh, in a, you know, professional to client relationship, again, and I've said this a lot of times during the podcast, uh, 
it's a relationship where you're working together to get to a pro- to to the end goal of a project. You're not working for them and they're not, you know, hiring you and just using you as a slave. No, they're hiring you for your expertise and it's okay for you to put your best foot forward in some cases with the knowledge that you might have to go back and redo some stuff. So when I put my best foot forward, usually that means I'm going to be doing some structured content for them without much of a back. Like it, it's going to be kind of like a, Something that looks nice, but not, doesn't have much connection to the back end or doesn't have much connection to the, the structure of your code. You're not going to spend a lot of time, you know, making it look pretty in the back, uh, like the actual code of the project or the HTML or whatever. You just want to put something out there quickly, lowest effort possible, but put your point out there so that they can say, yes, I like that. Or no, I don't like that. Or yes, I like that. Let's change A, B, and C. And it's easy for you to make those changes. It's not fully embedded into your code infrastructure yet, stuff like that. That's how I approach a lot of my taking charge initiatives. I always try to give the client the best possible idea that I can um, without you know leveraging myself too much and putting myself in a situation where I have to go and rewrite the entire thing completely from scratch. And it's going to take me hours and hours and hours. And I'll have to build the client even more because of that. So those are, that's kind of the, the, the thought process I have in mind. I've worked with smaller and larger clients. They all need to have their hand held. It's unfortunate in the industry, but it's also an opportunity for you to show how independent you are, like Matt was saying. And that independence can really help you in the future where a client can come to you with trust already and give you a task that they do want you to take charge in. So they, they can say like, okay, you know what? I need to get my business online somehow. I need to, you know, in this COVID times, I need to be able to sell my product online. I have no idea how to do that. I don't have any experience in that. I need you to take charge on this assignment. With that being said, like, because it's such an intense task, they're going to be willing to pay you more money because they're not going to be hand feeding you information. They know that it's going to take you some time. They know the complexity of the task. If you have that great client, uh, you know, developer relationship, and that's something that you have to establish by taking charge and doing the right thing. Yeah, that's a good, that's a really good. Um, I, I really like the part about the, like when you, you don't make it look amazing. Like certainly We've had a project recently that um, obviously this was sparked the idea where we had to take charge in it and it got to the point where, you know, I, I realized that the customers, like th- my customers, customers weren't going to see the messy backend stuff. So I'm going back now and I'm cleaning up some stuff just because I know it's going to be a pain to change, but we, you know, reached the deadline because I quickly and quickly and you know, rapidly spun up the bare minimum. And now there's some UX problems and stuff like that, which I'm going to fix as the UX guy, you know, it was difficult for me to skip some UX stuff, but regardless, this allows it, this allows the, the project to continue. And then it's a little less, there's a little, like, there's less, you're right. Like it minimizes the cons a bit because I show the bare minimum. And if the bare minimum is a disaster, at least I didn't spend an additional four days doing UX. It's like, Oh, we have to fix all this or no, in this case it was good. Okay. Now I'm just going to spend some time. You know, you guys do your thing. You guys can use it. Go ahead. We're considering this in production now. I'm just going to mess around here and there and that's it. So, um, so now I guess moving on to uh, segment number two, which is when to take charge. I don't know why I put a question mark here, but when to take charge, but anyway, um, <laughs> actually real brief aside, we were talking about how there's some noises that are, that you can't do quietly. So you can't, so for example, you can't do Mario's wahoo quietly, like wahoo. 
you can't you, you can't that do was that. Pretty good, actually. <laughs> People have been saying that. I didn't think it was that good, but like you can't like I can't go like ah, like I can't like can't get it out there. <laughs> you're you're laughing. What's going on over there? You can't just do a wahoo like that. And... <laughs> what? <laughs> so I, I didn't, ridiculous. I didn't think it was that good, but like I've been do I do it online sometimes, and like. People said it was, I don't know, but regardless of which, like, you, you, you can't make that noise quickly. Like, let's go! Like, you can't, you just can't do it. Like, <laughs> you, you know what I'm trying yeah, to say? Like, yeah, I know what you're trying to say, it's, yeah. I don't know why that is. Maybe it's the error in the, I don't know, call a doctor up. The doctor, doctor all the things podcast. <laughs> like, I don't know. Um, but a yeah. Local coach or something, but not a doctor. Yeah. What would a doctor know about that? Uh, Why would you- I, I thought it was like <laughs> I thought maybe it was lungs? like lung capacity where you wouldn't have enough. Like I thought they would know about the lungs and <laughs> I see Mike waving his hand, so we're gonna we're gonna continue. Um, though, to any more wahoos, hopefully, because I'm gonna start coughing. <clears throat> see, you can't do it. You can't do it quiet, and now I'm gonna be coughing. But anyway, when to <clears throat> when to take charge? Uh, anyway, uh, it can be very difficult to choose whether or not to take charge on a project because of the risks involved um, of losing a ton of time and money for someone else's project without their know-how. Now, it's also it also feels really strange to be working on something without a customer's feedback. Sometimes, uh, when you take charge, you'll be doing so without the client knowing for days at a time. You'll let the, you'll let them know, of course, you know what you're working on when you have scheduled meetings with them or whenever you normally contact them or message them. But at the end of the day, you might only hear from a client, depending on their busyness level, once a week, and they they might think that you're sitting idle when, in fact, you're actually you know really really working on a bunch of stuff uh, throughout the whole week, and they might not know how much time investment you're really putting in there. So that that's where the risk comes in. Now, deciding okay to take charge comes down to a few things, and I've basically. Uh, broken it down into three or four questions here, three or four statements rather, with some explanations. So the first statement is, how much time slash money do you already have invested in the project? So if you are already too far in to quit now, and we've all been there, and are just sick of the delays, sometimes you're just like, the heck with this, we can't quit, we're not going to stop this, you know, they're not going to be able to pay us unless we finish this project and they get paid, so we're just going to do this. Whether we get paid for the last half or whatever it is, or, you know, whatever, that's it. Like we're doing this, we're getting this done. And that's, it's just sort of like a, that's it. We're doing this. Um, that decision can be really hard to come by because you also don't know what the scale of it's going to be after the fact. But at the same time, sometimes it's just like, we're, we might take a loss on this. Let's just go. Let's just get this done. Cause we don't want the bad review or whatever, or we don't want to just have a dead project or we don't want to, you know, we know we're going to work with this guy in the future type of thing. Uh, next, next question or statement is going to be, are you passionate about the project? So money isn't everything. I know I mentioned money and time is money a few times already, but if the project is something that you're really passionate about, or if you're, it's some sort of cause that you believe in, then it, you know, it's up to you, but it might be worth doing even if the budget doesn't make sense. Now, again, I've already seen it a couple times, but this is a hundred percent up to your discretion. If you're like super into games and like video games and it's a video game website that just like, like the scale just blew up and it's just crazy, but you don't really have anything else going on and you really want to see this project come to fruition because maybe you want to use that site in the future, then, you know, by all means, like there's n- there's nothing saying that you have to be strict on the money. You, you don't have to be 100% capitalist all the time. If you can afford to do it and maybe even extract value another way, like a portfolio item or a good testimonial or a good referral or something like that, there's other ways to get money out of it. And it might just be, you know, sa- you might just satisfy your own uh, like passion for doing that project. You might really like that project. And you might really want to see it done. 
Uh, third statement here is going to be the budget makes sense. So maybe you have another project coming down the pipe and you need this one, this first one out of the way. And you know that this project, okay, the, the one that you need out of the way, you know, the one that you need out of the way, you know that it, it has the budget to accommodate you just going ham. And so you're just like, that's it. We're just going to go into this. You know, we, they have the money to cover this. If not like all the way, most of the way, at least let's just get this done. I don't want to wait for this guy to email me back. We have to get this done because next week we have, you know, Bill calling us and we have to do something for him or whoever. So this one's obviously up to your uh, situation and your web agency or wherever you're working. But this one, this one's very important. If they have the money, you might as well just use it kind of thing. Uh, last one here, the client seems receptive and accepting. So if you've worked with this client for a while or know them good enough and you think they'll appreciate the hard work you'll, that you'll put in by just getting the project done to the best of your ability, you know, doing those assumptions and everything else and using your professional opinion so you justify things, which I'm going to get into in a little bit, then it might be just time to take charge. It can be really hard for you to read clients sometimes, especially if you're new to them, if you've only worked with them once or maybe this is the first time. But if you, you know, if you read them right and you know like, hey, this guy is busy. That's why he's not getting back to me with the logo. I'm just going to put a placeholder logo and placeholder images. Let's just get this done. If you think he's going to appreciate that when he like sits down on Friday, once he's done his day job and be like, damn, you guys did a lot of work this week. Like, thank you. I didn't have time this week to message you back. If you think he's going to be like that, then maybe it's time just to take charge and be like, let's just get like, let's just get this done. You're getting cred with the client. You know, you're getting cred for yourself. You're, you're, you're finishing, you're finishing a major portion of the project and you know, it's worth it at the end of the day. Cause now that client's going to come back to you or refer to you or give you a good testimonial, et cetera. It might just be worth it in that case. I think the last point there is the best one. And I think that's the one that you probably are going to have most often. Um, you're, you're most often hopefully going to find a client that is trusting and believes in your expertise and that's why he's hiring you and in that case you taking charge and again putting your best foot forward and showing your client something that they themselves wouldn't be able to tell you because a lot of the time one thing that i want to point out is if you have a client that's extremely hands-on and wants to control every aspect of the project but is not technical and is not web savvy and design savvy and ux savvy you're going to get a really bad product 90% of the time because they're going to throw a lot of things at you that don't make sense in a web development perspective and a web design perspective uh, just because they think it looks cool or, you know, like they, they might be of the you know notion that you have to have like a flashing header or something because it draws people's attention in. They might have the notion that you constantly have to have pop-ups telling people what to do on, on your site where obviously that's not the great greatest UX. You're going to lose people. So, there's a lot of times where you're going to have to handhold the client and tell them the, their ideas are bad or their ideas won't work. Like say it nicely uh, because it's not their expertise. Like, right. It's not, uh, it's not up to them to do this. It's not, they're hiring you for a reason. You're the professional in this situation. You have to take the onus on yourself to give them the best product that they can get for the money that they're paying you. Um, one one little thing that I want to point out is uh, like before cars were invented, people were asked what they wanted and they they said a faster horse. Like they don't know what they want. People don't know what they want. That's what all I'm trying to say. So you're going to have to show them what works best. Now, will that work every time? No. The client might say, no, I don't like this and you might have to redo it. But that's why, again, we were talking about doing the lowest effort possible way of showing them so that you're not spending, you know, 10 hours or 20 hours to do a thing that the client hasn't approved show them in 
show them in a wireframe, show them in a like high fidelity design in Photoshop, show them in some way before you actually build it out or show them in a quick, like very quick and dirty example of a library that you found or something that you can implement in like, you know, 10, 20 minutes to an hour so that you're not risking your time too, too much. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that last point there, the client is receptive and accepting of your advice. That's where, you know, you have to take charge. And that actually transitions really well into the next thing. Cause you actually touched on a couple of points that we'll be talking about in segment three. So I'll just jump right in. I think is segment three is going to be uh, tips and tricks after you've taken, uh, taken charge. I'm surprised there's no question mark after the end of that one. Um, so now, uh, so no, the first, first tip, I guess, first tip and trick is, uh, we need a better way actually to say tips and tricks. Like we need like a marketing Why? turn. You know what I mean? Like, we're bad you know, at you know terms. like, what? We're, we're bad at marketing. I know, terms. but you know how like, well, I mean, like we're just following, you know what I mean? Cause we can't invent yeah. it and be like, well, didn't everyone know that tic tac just meant tips and trick, you know, like tic tac polywag. Give your dog a bone. That's our that's our marketing term now. To- you literally stopped me in my in my. I don't yep. even remember what I was going to say. Okay. Yep. Your tip tack apparently um, not to be confused with tic tacs. That's actually possible confusion at that time. Uh, <laughs> the mint, not the mint. It's a tip tack. Watch, that's going to be something horrible. Like that's going to be like someone like we're saying something totally horrible. Like we're always saying something totally horrible. Anyway. You're ready for some we're, tip tacks. We're offending someone in every single way and every word that we say. So I'm. I guess that's true. I've accepted it. Um. All right. First one. One. First one is going to be if a client uh, is puzzled by one of your decisions, you know, really don't. And Mike touched on this. Do not hesitate to explain yourself at length. Okay, because they might change their minds to align with your vision since since you're the professional. So be confident. Um, in your answer and, and reasoning. So obviously, if you're hesitating and stuff, they're going to think like, oh, you're just making up excuses to not do an additional change. And if you're confident, like, for example, in this most recent project we did, I basically, you know, ha- had done a few changes and it was like, oh, you know, why would you do that? And so I went through the UX of it where I said, okay, imagine I'm, I'm, I'm like this person, I'm a customer, I go and I lock in, I do this, I do that, I do this, now I'm confused. So I have to have this step to make that confusion go away. And then it's just like, oh, okay, makes sense, you know, whatever. Like, you're the professional, obviously. We have to explain yourself, you know, there, there's a reason why they're hiring you to do it, they don't know. Um... So that's, that's the first one. The second one is, um, don't be scared to tell the client uh, how long something took, you know, don't complain or brag about it, but letting them know the amount of time you've invested occasionally in meetings and such, you know, wherever you think is appropriate buys you some cred in case you need to take time, uh, time off for something, um, to work on another project or you're sick or something like that. It also lets them know, and I've already mentioned this before is they also, it also lets them know not to spam you over and over, um, you know, asking if something is done. They now know, Hey, he spent 12 hours spinning this thing up. We didn't even ask him to, but it was needed. So, you know, let's not bug him today. You know, he was supposed to be on holiday yesterday. So maybe he's just a little slow getting back into it. It kind of lessens that spam, but it also builds that relationship where they realize like, wow, he spent 12 hours. He's not screwing around. You know, he's not, you know, sitting on the, on the time clock, essentially sitting in front of it, getting paid, but not actually doing anything. 
Uh, and the third and last one here is uh, sometimes you need to tell someone, and Mike touched on this as well, some, someone that their idea is ridiculous. So if they have requirements, for example, to set up a YouTube channel and make simple videos on there, but their idea has you buying all these special cameras and other unnecessary things that are way, way, way above and beyond the requirements, tell them that maybe you should be doing this sort of extra stuff later after the project is ready or you know if there's time to do so before the deadline, something like that, or to upgrade it later. And really, like, feel free to protest something that's really ridiculous, stating that, you know, you shouldn't have X thing in this project. So if they're going overboard, you know, caution them, you know, say, hey, we're going too ham here. Like, I don't recommend we do this. We should really be hitting. Let's hit the requirements and then we'll come back or let's hit the requirements, ship it, and then we'll upgrade in a month or whatever the thing is. But if they're going like really, really, really ham, you should really just like straight up protest it and say, you know calmly but you should really protest it and say hey this is ridiculous like you know we shouldn't have x thing in this project like it's too confusing you know it's using too much server space or like whatever the problem is you know this is ridiculous we shouldn't have it in here and one thing we always strongly resist for example uh in this way we protest this is background music on sites some people think that background music is going to be great i know it's a really small thing it's not gonna take very long but it's you know it's not good like i'm just gonna say it right now it's not good I'm protesting it right now and so your client, you know, of course has the veto vote. If they push it, you have to do it, whatever. But with our protesting, we've never had to put background music on a site yet. So protesting things in this manner, professionally, with real reasons, you know, with whatever, does work. Now, I will say, sometimes clients are not pissed off, but they're definitely, they neglect stuff. So, or not neglected, they're... They're like passive aggressive almost in their response. So for example, like if you say, hey, we really shouldn't have two titles on our blog post. It confuses the user and it confuses Google or something. I don't know. Let's make it something up. They might be like, oh, all right, fine. Don't take that all right, fine necessarily as a bad thing because they might be annoyed right now. But if it's something small like that, that you're protesting and you know that, you know, it would mess up the Google result and it will confuse the person. You're the professional and just go with it. Now, you don't want to be annoying your client like that in every turn, but even if they kind of neglectingly agree to what you said in that manner, like, ugh, like whatever, it's still a win on your behalf. And even though you're not trying to rack up the wins, now you don't have to do that thing. And you personally know from a professional standpoint that the product is better for that. You need, it's a give and take though. Of course, some stuff like they're, you know, they're, they're not going to give in or they really want it, even though it's ridiculous because that's part of their brand or something. So you have to give in on some of those items, but some stuff, if it's just technically impossible or just doesn't make any sense, you'd have to say, no, this isn't going to work. Like we can maybe look at ways to make something like it work, but this is not going to work the way you think it does. Like, 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 let's just like, I'm not doing it. Like, (laughs) like that's it. We're not doing this type of thing. So a couple of times, just to add to it, uh, a couple of times we've had situations where the client was fighting back with us on some stuff. And what helped uh, us was showing them their competitor sites and being like, listen, they don't have background music or they don't have flashing banners or they don't have, you know, a million scrolling banners. Like, like, it, like, like Matt said, explain to them why, why you made a decision against their against what they said uh usually that'll work and if not then you might have to resort to the fact that you have to show them what your what their competitors are doing or what other really good sites are doing because you can see their statistics and you can show them the statistics listen this site's doing really well in your industry look at how many people are going to it it has some really good design principles let's combine those with some of your ideas and my ideas and we'll make a good site so clients are pretty receptive of that 
The other thing is uh, just to help with all of your communication is try to have scheduled meetings as much as you can. So instead of having random meetings all the time, people, clients tend to blow those off a lot or just, you know, forget about you for a while. If you have a scheduled meeting on Tuesday, um, yes, the client can blow that off. But usually if they blow it off one week, they'll at least show up the next week or something like that because they'll feel bad because you have a scheduled meeting. When you're in this design process, when you're in this changing process and you're taking charge and you're doing things on your own ad hoc, it's important to be be able to communicate what you're doing to your clients so that you're not doing things for no reason. Just to just to alleviate your own time wasted and your clients time wasted and so that you can meet your deadlines. Yeah, everything's everything in this sort of respect, this whole topic uh, of taking charge is definitely is definitely like a game. Like you definitely need to read your clients. You need to know your own budgets. Like everything's a game. It's give and take everywhere. But if you and the clients, the winner, if they get a nice project done and then you get a nice paycheck done, you know, at the end of the day, that's all, that's all anyone really wants. And so you really need to sort of play that game and you need to gauge those pros, those cons and that type of thing. Just sort of my capstone to this uh, before we jump into our web news. Okay. Uh, I think with with that capstone, let's jump into web news. Uh, web news, we're going to be talking about what life is going to be like short-term post-COVID. Um, so some things I want to talk about is like how will businesses adapt to post-COVID world and what will be our new normal because of that. Um, in terms of web development, I uh, one thing that I do want to discuss is uh, I think e-commerce will see a huge rise like it's already seeing a huge rise, but then I think it's going to be even more as businesses realize that, wait, what happens if this happens again and I don't have a plan in place? Like what happens if all the businesses shut down and my entire income is gone? So they're going to start thinking about, you know, how do they get their business online? How do they do more online? Maybe they're going to start thinking outside the box and seeing what they can do to supplement their income. So people are going to, the web development industry is going to see an uptick from this, in my opinion. So I think everyone should be brushing up on their skills, getting ready to go and trying to find their client base. Am I like, I think it is a good time to do that because again, we don't know when this is going to end. We don't know if this is ever going to happen again. We don't know how companies are going to react to it after everything goes back to normal in let's however many however much time that's going to be i don't want to give a time estimate because i have no idea um so on the businesses front a, a particularly curious one of mine because i do a lot of travel is how will airlines adapt how are hotels and resorts going to adapt short term uh and will a thing, a service like airbnb survive because there's just so many question marks there um I think I'll pass it off to you, Matt, here without throwing too much more at you because I have other questions, but we can kind of discuss them after you've... Well, the one thing, and we had talked about this before, is I think there's two stages to this post-COVID-19 thing. Uh, there's there, there's a post-lockdown, there's a post lockdown, I would say. Now, you know, this, is de- this depends on your jurisdiction. This depends on how your area was hit by it. But hypothetically, if you get through, like I'm talking about in Ontario, Canada, that's where we're from. In Ontario, Canada, if we get through this first wave, chances are, and nothing's set in stone, chances are we'll be, you know, sort of, quote-unquote, let out. Well, the lockdown will be lifted, uh, maybe not completely, but, you know, restrictions will be lifted. Uh, all, maybe all or more workplaces will be allowed to go in. It won't just be essential services and that type of thing. So the economy essentially will be open with some restrictions. Now, the reason why there's two stages to this is this is sort of stage one to me. Because there's no current 
effective treatment that I'm aware of, and there's no vaccination to this thing that is, you know, publicly available. So as a result, if I got it, if I got COVID, went out and, you know, did stuff, I'm spreading that still. So like the actual spreading is a concern. Now, I think there's a second stage, which is when we no longer care. The no longer care is when we either get a vaccination, so we really don't care. You know, that's that's essentially the end of the day. We really don't care about getting sick, I mean. And then we, and then the second one would be, or, or like, a, a, it's still the second phase, but the second solution would be medicine. So it's like, oh, like, you know, COVID is something we can all get, but you know, there's this medicine that makes it so it's not deadly. So it's like, you, you know, you go to the hospital, you go to your, probably your doctor, they probably make streamline it. You go to your doctor. Oh, you have COVID. Here's these pills. Okay. You know, moving on with your life. That's literally, that's like phase one. It's, it, it phase, or sorry, phase one is when COVID's still a threat, but the lockdown has been lifted or eased. And phase two to me is when we no longer care about COVID. We have a way to deal with it, or we just literally killed off that virus entirely through uh, immunization. So the reason why I want to mention this very specific difference is because the airlines, the hotel, the, the crowded places are going to be different, especially more strict in their differences in phase one, when the services still need to be clean. Because if I touch something with COVID on it and I get COVID, that's not good because I'm spreading it around now, for example. But then those restrictions like, I think we're going to be affected by this forever, like, to an extent, like, some things are definitely going to be affected, like, I think people really are going to be looking for a second uh, revenue stream online and stuff like that, whether that be individually doing side hustles, or whether it be mom and pop shops realizing, damn, I need to sign up for DoorDash and stuff, stuff I never thought of before, because I need to have delivery for my, you know, bakery or whatever it is, so those type of things, I think, will definitely, you know, be long-term, probably forever, you know, we'll remember this, like, we're living through history right now, obviously, like, all of us are, um, so there's that. But I think that I think that the the phase 1 is going to be a lot different than phase 2. Case in point, um we have a I have an elderly I have a, an elderly or not, not an elderly but like a frail uncle. He's he's ill, not with covid. He's ill so he needs help around the house and stuff like that. And so we had to leave this town where I live and go to the city where he lives to go visit and help him out with some stuff. I was I haven't left this town in like over a month at that point. And I thought it was going to be weird going there, but it immediately just was was familiar to me. And I just thought it was going to be weird, but it wasn't. And so I'm getting the idea that like the anticipation of being let out, whether it be phase 1 or phase 2, is going to be this big thing where it might be online and like people are posting stuff and whatever, but I feel like we're going to go back to our old ways in phase two when we have an immunization or when we have a a treatment for this. I feel like we're going to go back to our old ways almost immediately. Like I I would think that maybe phase two would be really weird. Like even if we had the inoculation stuff, if, if we had, or the immunization, if we had been in lockdown for five years, if the death rate was something crazy, like 50%, you know, if we, if like everyone was affected, the world's all screwed up, you know, but luckily we're not that way. Now, a lot of that's due to the fact that a lot of stuff's online now. So a lot of stuff can still keep running, which is nice. Like you can, you can order, like you still order like spoons online. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) how luxury is that? (laughs) So like luxury things are still running and it's still working. You know, that, that's the type of thing I mean. And people are still able to communicate and stuff. But could you imagine this happening even as soon as 1990? No. In 1990, it'd be like, like like four people have internet. (laughs) Like maybe, you know? 
Everyone would just be reading books and watching TV, I guess. Like. You would have to get the newspaper to learn what to do. Like, yeah. the government wouldn't be able to, at a moment's notice, go online and tell you, you know, what, well, what's going on. It would no, be... it would, TV, TV still existed. But you'd have to, you would have to specifically not have fallen asleep at six. You know, now it's like, I log in and, and whether I miss the live stream due to being busy or whatever, you know, our whole job is online, for example. Like, we would not be able to work. I wouldn't be able to, you know, you wouldn't be able to go anywhere. You'd be, doing something physically in a store or whatever, even as soon as 1990. So realistically, like while this sucks, uh, certainly this is the best time for this to happen. If anything, it would be way freaking better if it didn't happen, but this is the best time for it to happen because I'm still at, at all my, you know, leisurely stuff for the most part is still happening for the most part. Like we're, we're looking at ways to go see quote unquote virtual movies together in like a virtual movie theater app. Like literally, it's literally to that extent. Like we're talking about VR here in in the home with a cell phone. Whereas in 1990, it was like, what the hell is an email? You know, that that was when those like, those like, uh, what do you call those documentaries would come on TV. You'd be like electronic mail. The thing that's going to be killing the newspaper is coming. You know, like that's, that's back then where we was like, what the hell is electronic mail? You know, I'll never use electronic mail. That, that that was those days, and that wasn't that long ago. Yeah. I think a lot, like, I think about that a lot, about how when, if this would happen at a different time, it would have been really, really bad. Um, and I do appreciate the fact that it happened now over that time. Uh, but, and I completely agree with you that in phase two, things are going to go back to essentially normal, mm-hmm. like almost completely the same as they were before. I just think that because it's going to take us a little while to get to phase two, that intermediary phase is going to be a significant change in people's lives. And it's worth talking about. That's why. Like, I don't think like if, if phase two were to happen three months from now, I wouldn't like, I don't think that would be an issue mm-hmm. and we wouldn't talk. There wouldn't be a phase, of, you know, you know what I mean? Like if we knew that phase two was going to come in three months, like the vaccine was going to be available and everyone would get it, it wouldn't be an issue. There wouldn't be a phase two. People would just, adapt in different ways but because we think that it's going to take maybe a year maybe more yeah yeah um i mean there's there's even some theoretic theoretical thoughts that it'll never happen like we'll never get vaccinated but regardless it'll probably happen there will probably be a way to i mean admittedly we we lucked out if if it never happens we lucked out in the in the aspect that the the kill count is is under under 10 percent or the kill, the kill, like percentage, the way, like if you get this thing, there's a, there's less than ten percent. I think it's around three, ish percent that it's going to be lethal to you. So there's yeah. a ninety-seven percent at my last check. I don't check the news every day, but there's a ninety-seven percent ish chance that you will make it yeah. through this thing. If it was like fifty-fifty yeah. for everyone of all ages, well, yeah, it would be like that's what I mean. Is like we locked out in that regard. Like, yeah, damn. Yeah. yeah, there's some, there's some good to take out of this uh, i i completely agree with you there the other the other aspect of that is like when we do get through this and we are in that second phase of like just everything's open i think that there will be differences in how we approach health oh yeah i think that the health industry will boom like we you know after world war ii we saw a boom of the military like during world war ii we saw a boom of the military complex that kept going and rapidly expanding at a ridiculous rate where like America is spending trillions of dollars a year on military like world's police. Literally. I think we're going to see that to a smaller extent, obviously yeah. with the health industry after this, because this, 
it 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 isn't because like not to sound so, like you know pessimistic or whatever. It isn't because we're trying to save people. Uh, because the people higher up, the you know the CEOs of companies, the corporations, they don't care about people. Like uh, let's be serious, let's be honest with ourselves. They don't. Uh, they care about money, and a lot of these companies, they saw their stocks fall significantly. So they're going to invest as much money as they think is worth it for them to mitigate that risk, really you know, 10, that. 20 years, 30 years in the future. That's a pretty good one. I, didn't, I never really thought of that. Is like, yeah, they're going to be there's, investing there's a, Now there's heavily, money on the line. <laughs> a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. That's all that matters, right? Like to these companies, that's all that matters. And there's a lot of money. Like companies are going to go bankrupt because of this, et cetera. So people are going to try to mitigate it. Um, and that's going to give a big industry health boom, in my opinion. There's going to be a lot of preventive medicine stuff being done. There's going to be a lot of work to be done with the, you know, Face masks, gloves, like PPE is going to be expanded. Uh, those stockpiles are going to be kept a little bit in better condition and not rotting like they were before this. I don't believe that. You don't believe that they're I don't rotting? Think, I don't think they're – no, I don't, I don't believe that we're going to prepare better. I, I think we're going to I, I feel better. like we're going to do it for about a year and then it's going to be like, ah. I, you know, I, I'm optimistic in the sense that I think companies, again, will, will – we <clears throat> some companies think really long-term like – you know, 50, 100 years down the line. Yeah, yeah. And when they average the cost of not preparing with preparing, like as soon as they factor the cost of this happening again in a 200-year period, they're going to put money into it. That's that's how I that's how I think. You, like, you might be right because I remember they were saying, and I listened to this on Joe Rogan, but they were saying that the one guest was saying that they were working on a SARS vaccination. And then we, we as humans killed SARS, right? Yes. So the interest in, in the vaccination research went away. Now, what yep. they were saying is, is like, if we had continued that, it's possible that that vaccination could have helped or inoculated us. I think that's the right word. Im- immunized us. I don't know. Made us immune to, um, all, SARS. all coronaviruses or, you know, COVID. Yes. It's possible. Like, we don't know. Like, it's research. Like, we don't know. Or helped us in some or way. Or helped us in some way. Like, it could have been like the flu shot where, they guess the flu virus, but if the influenza is different, even though you've had, you know, influenza A shot and you got influenza B, influenza B is lessened by your, your immunization to influenza yes. A. Like it helps. So it might, maybe it just makes it not like deadly or something. Like we don't know. We don't know. Yeah. So I think, uh, yeah, exactly. So I think that that, that would have happened probably if, if SARS was a more contagious disease, uh, COVID might have been a lesser thing or even a non issue essentially. Um, but it didn't. And well, we're lucky we're that it wasn't SARS that became it because it was my, it was more deadly. Yes, very like, lucky. Like, there's some there's some aspects of this where we got rid of or lucky, MERS. Most a lot of it is bad. <laughs> like there's still it's still a pretty bad disease. Like I've heard some really it, it's weird that it affects people so differently because I've heard people like you know I had a cough and I was sick for a little while but I was fine for the most part. I've heard people of the stage that they were you know in bed for two weeks. They didn't go to the hospital, but they were in bed for two weeks with like severe flu-like symptoms and wheezing. Uh, they could still breathe and stuff, but they were like it, it was bad. Then I've heard the the cases of people going to the hospital and being on the machines, the ventilators, in the ICU, right? So liver damage. I've heard of today. People. Like there, apparently, yeah. some people had liver damage. Liver. There's like other long-term effects on your lungs as well. Apparently, oh, people that even people that uh, had it and barely felt it. Have been going in to get testing and are and they're being found to have permanent damage on their lungs. Great. So that's why this thing is bad. Like this, this is not like a flu. This is not a flu. Like that's not a correct analysis of this disease. 
Uh, it is worse in multiple different ways. Um, and we have to fight it. And that's why we're doing the social distancing thing and it's working. Uh, we're seeing the numbers flattened, et cetera, et cetera. So, and then with this phase one, it's going to bring in new innovations into the industry where like I heard today in the airline industry, they're going to bring in, uh, like sneeze guards, kind of plastic sneeze guards to cover your left and right side your of your face. So that when you're sitting beside someone, you're sitting beside them. But if you cough or sneeze even to the side, you're not going to hit them. Because I mean, a big that, thing that's appreciated, this, even if it's just for, for colds, like, good lord. Exactly. It would be appreciated for a lot of things. But, like, for this especially, because a lot of this is contact, right? Like, it's uh, – if you get sneezed on or you get coughed on, you have a very high chance of getting the disease if the person is – getting the virus if the person is sick with it, right? Whereas if you're – um in the vicinity of someone and they're just breathing, it's a lesser chance. There's still a chance. So it's still risky to my opinion, right? But it's – you're lowering the risk. You're trying to lower it. You're trying to make people more comfortable to actually use your products because in the end of the day, again, they're just trying to get their clients back so that they can continue to work through this so that they can stay open until phase two where they can just continue to work as usual and go on with their lives. They just – they need to bridge this gap. The scary gap that everyone is going to be frightened of to go outside. Like I think any everything is still going to suffer. Like you're still going to think twice about going to the mall. Oh yeah. If you don't have a vaccination, you're still going to think twice about going to going out to eat if you can still order in. Right. Like I. I but th- those type of things, though. The thing is, is I, I was talking to my girlfriend about this. Is the weird part might not be the fact that I'm going to be physically scared to enter a restaurant. It might be the fact that the comfort zone is different. So I'm now I'm now more comfortable ordering something for delivery or pickup. So now those industries might boom because it's just like, again, it's just the comfort zone thing. Like the gym, you, you have, you have gym. Yeah. I have here. gym here. Yeah. Like one of, one of the things is like, some people are just not going to go back to the gym. Some people might just do home workouts. If they liked their home workout that they started doing at home, then they might, you know, they might just stick with it. They might be like the heck with this. I might as well not get colds and flus. Like I might as well try to avoid regular colds and flus in the future, you know, COVID yep. related or not, because I'm just going to work out at home. And then I don't have to drive there. I don't have to walk there. There's no like delay yeah. of me working out. I get up. That's it. I'm, I'm working out. It's You're absolutely right. And there's some people that are going to be, but there's some people that like that experience of going somewhere of to work out and then, you know, doing the sauna or the shower or whatever. Like, but you're a hundred percent right in that it's going to take some people out of it because some people are more comfortable working out at home but they never tried it they never because tried it, yeah. they never thought it was a, an idea and now they've been forced to try it they've been forced to try all these new things like working from home some people hate it some people are going to love it yeah some companies hate it some companies are going to be like wow we saved a ton of money working from home let's just stay working from home so it's going to change the industry like a lot of different industries in a lot of different ways whether it's a big change a small change i don't know but in the end it will be a slightly different world even in phase two. I, j- I think that you're right though. Once we do have a vaccination, you're going to have that confidence to go out and do the things that you wanted to do anyway. You know what they're going to do with that gonna- though is they're going to they're going to put a and, – and this is actually from the movie Contagion. But this is probably what's going to happen is when they give you the – I mean this is a major, a major spoiler for that movie. But I mean it's an old movie with Matt Damon. Let's all calm down. Um, pretty good movie though. Um, the – they give you a – they give you like they gave you like a bracelet when they got rid of their flu or whatever illness it was. It's been years since I've seen it now, but like whatever they gave you this big blue bracelet, and so humans are naturally materialistic, but that's almost like a shield to you 
So if like you get your shot, if it's a shot to to for for your immunization, yeah. they're gonna give you this bracelet, and now you're you're not scared of anything anymore. That's actually what's going to happen. Cause I would be like, fuck, I, I don't know about this, but you give this blue thing. You're going to, you're literally going to look at your blue, like wristband and be like, Oh, I'm good. Like that's actually the, what's going to happen. Yeah. It's going to be something like that. And it's going to be same thing. But the, the, the other thing is it's going to happen earlier than that, where people that have already had this, had the COVID in phase two or phase one, even they're going to probably get some sort of, you know, they're going to be allowed to work again. Oh, they're yeah. going to be the ones that are going back to work first. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It, yeah. With all the other people that have already gotten it. Oh, oh, assuming, assuming that you are naturally immune after you've recovered after naturally. You get it. Yeah, assuming the, that's the yeah, case. Yeah, the studies are being done right now, so there's no guarantee. But in most cases, in most diseases and most viruses, you are somewhat immune or mostly immune after you go through a disease. Right. Like chicken, like there, there's different stages of it. Like flu um, is less so. Flu mutates really quickly. But this, but from what I've heard, the scientific studies that I've read, uh, this one doesn't act like the flu. It's a little bit slower. It doesn't mutate as fast. So it's more in the lines of not. It might not be in the lines of chickenpox, where you get it once and you're f- immune forever. Uh, but it might be in the lines of something in between that. We don't know yet. So that's something that we have to figure out. But in, in my opinion, or in what I from what I've been reading, you do get some immunity. Everyone gets that immunity differently, but you do get some immunity, so it will have that effect uh, for the most part. So they will allow people that had it or have had it and are were asymptomatic or whatever to go back to work. We need to do more testing, in my opinion. So there needs to be more tests and stuff like that yeah. being done so that we can determine that. Um, but I, th- I think that's all coming soon, uh, I hope. I would say that the, the social interaction is going to be weird. Like I was talking actually on my other podcast about this and – I would I'm going to be less afraid to go to see people I know because first off I know that they've been socially distancing. But because I just know them, so it's like, well, I'm not going to like avoid social contact forever. But I'm going to be more hesitant to go to something that's crowded. Like even if the um even if the movie theater opens up, I'm going to be hesitant to go to the movie theater, I think. I might still go, but I'm still going to have a thought, like that a thought that was never there before. And in some cases, movie theater or not, it uh, could be something else, that thought will stop me. Like, I'd be like, hmm, I could eat eat in the Wendy's or I could get takeout. Takeout it is. Yeah. You know, that, that you thought know, is going to be there. Yeah. My, my wife has always had that thought in, like, crowded movie theaters. Like, as soon as she's in a crowded movie theater, she has this, like, she's, like, worried about getting sick. Oh, geez. Even before all this. I mean, it's a lot of people. I never thought anything of it, but, like, she has a point. You're in a, a lot you're of in a very there. you're in a confined place with a bunch of kids it's like if you're in like a kid movie or a marvel movie or something like oh, that yeah. and kids constantly are sick everyone's sick like people sick around you um so there's a good chance that you could get sick oh, yeah. or you could get you know you have your immune system having to fight uh, it doesn't happen every time obviously but it's possible and so, conventions yeah. like i go to fan expo every year and fan expo yeah, is I like wall to wall like i'm not kidding you like wall-to-wall people when i say that i mean you're literally pretty much bumping up against everybody there are so many people in that place um it's just chaos and uh yeah. you know in term, terms of people and like that it, like let's say we get every let, let's just somehow say we're gonna get back to normal before fan expo happens i wouldn't be surprised if the attendance is down a fair bit because yeah, because of yeah. this like even though even with that blue shield thing like i said a little ribbon thing on your or like a little bracelet on your wrist some people are going to be like uh hell no like we're not going to big 
like to a to a crowded place which is crazy yeah but it, it, i think that's right i think that that's what's going to happen because the, the, be the nerd less. flu was was real that's what we called it if you got sick yeah. after going to fan expo because there's so many freaking people it was called the yeah. nerd flu that's what we called yeah. it i don't know it's a, it's an interesting it's going to be an interesting world uh we'll be following along with it probably updating everyone on the podcast what we think um cuz that's what we've been doing so far yeah I mean, so we're all in this together, tuned. everyone. Yeah, we're all in this, exactly. We're all, it's all new to everyone, literally, which is a once in, you know, it's a historic moment. Like Matt was saying, this is definitely going to be remembered in history for probably a very long time. It's like, it's um, like the whole, like, uh, Spanish flu, all that stuff, SARS, yeah. like yeah. all that. I mean, SARS probably won't be remembered for very long. I think it's already, like, it, I mean, history's proven that it's already been forgotten because all the ppe was dying right but i think this this will be a big change mers like is this a big will... one too not as yep. big as covid just due to the exactly. spread but mers is yeah. bad too yeah so yeah uh i think that's it though I, yeah. I don't know if you have anything else to add matt no i think uh i think that's it really let's, let's run up the old, conclusion. the old status update um but anyway thank you for listening and make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing on the platform of your choice you can follow us on those socials via at HTML All The Things. That's on Facebook and Instagram. You can also follow us on Twitter via at HTML Everything. We're on Medium and we're on GitHub. And remember also on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HTML All The Things. Check out those tiers and give that a go. And many thanks to our $3 tier pay- patrons. Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript. Find him at youtube.com slash RabbitWorks JavaScript. Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design. Find him at localpathcomputing.com. Craig, a.k.a. Cosworth. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital. Find him at blueblackdigital.com. Chris from Selfmade Web Designer, find him at selfmadewebdesigner.com. Tim from The Web Hacker, find him at thewebhacker.com. And DL Ford from dlford.io. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform you're listening to this on. And we are signing off. Yeah.